You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The word of the Lord. On October 2nd, 2006, there was a mass shooting at an Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Even more egregious, the shooting took place at an elementary school. A sick man by the name of Charles Carl Roberts IV took hostages and he shot eight girls, ages six through 13, killing five before he committed suicide. What shocked our nation also was that very day, members of the Amish community went to Robert's wife and family, then to his parents and siblings to give their condolences on the loss of their loved one and to express their forgiveness for his murders. Social scientists were intrigued by this and began to study this Amish community to understand why they would do what they had done. And they concluded that their willingness to forgive was rooted in their faith in Jesus Christ. The Amish community was centered on worshiping and singing about and remembering in the body and blood and seeking to emulate as disciples this man who, while he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is a deep human need. When we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are imperfect beings that say mean things behind the back of other people or think judgmental thoughts about the man with the cardboard sign on the off-ramp of 6th Avenue that says anything will help, or then we take offense and we hold grudges when anyone inconveniences us. The Bible is correct. The human soul is broken. Ernest Hemingway, in his short story, The Capital of the World, begins with these memorable lines. Quote, Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is a diminutive of the name Francisco, 
And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And how a squadron of Guardia Civil had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. The obvious joke is the ubiquity of the name Paco in Spain, but the deeper truth is the underlying longing of the human heart to be forgiven of our sins. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We have a spiritual disease which needs healing, and that is the heart of today's scripture, which Al just read to us. So if we just have a moment of of prayer, and then we'll dive into this scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we are spiritually hungry. We ask in the name of Jesus that you'd speak words of life, of spiritual sustenance to our souls. Speak to me, Lord. I'm listening. And then I encourage you to pray for those that are around you. Lord, speak to them words of life that they need. Come and meet us, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17, it says, One day Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal the sick. Notice that it says that the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scholars were present. We'll come back to that. That's an important part of the story later on in this scripture. But right now, I want us to focus our thoughts for just a moment on that cryptic remark, and the power of God was present for Jesus to heal the sick. Contrast that remark with Jesus going back to his hometown, Nazareth, where he was raised. And in Mark 6.5, excuse me, it says, Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So the question here is, is Jesus welcome in our lives to do God's goodwill, or is he limited by the weakness or absence of our faith? The scriptures are clear that with God, nothing is impossible, but God, it seems to say in scripture, will limit himself if faced with lack of faith. But faith was present here in Luke chapter 5 because the power of God was present for him to heal us, the sick. An example of this faith is in verse 18, where it says, Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Talk about incredible friends, huh? This group of men who remain anonymous loved their paralyzed buddy so much they're willing to carry him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get him to Jesus, they creatively problem solved by getting their buddy on the roof. And once they're on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof so they can lower their friend in front of Jesus. Imagine being the homeowner or their insurance agent watching these four guys take apart your roof. Hopefully Aaron Rodgers and State Farm was there, huh? But Jesus was impressed, and so he says, it says in the scripture, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, faith is a verb. It's about action, taking in trust of God. Jesus saw their action of cutting the roof, 
and lowering their buddy as a manifestation of their faith. These men's faith was strong because they wouldn't allow obstacles to keep them from bringing their friend to Jesus. The four friends, or the, um, however many there were, by faith brought their buddy to Jesus. A, a movie that my family enjoys is The Incredibles. Have you ever seen that? And there's Bob. He's uh, the dad in the family. He's a former superhero. He's Mr. Incredible, obviously, from the picture. And he's now bored to death at a desk job with an insurance company with a Weasley boss. So he's bored at his, at his, uh, at his desk, and so he draws a picture of a superhero outfits with flamboyant capes. Bob has a friend in the movie by the name of Edna, and she designs superhero costumes. I didn't know there was such a job, but evidently there is. So every time Bob shows Edna a superhero costume with a cape, Edna replies, darling, lose the cape. So she shows Bob a video of a superhero with a cape whose cape gets caught in the jet engine of a plane, and you can imagine the body parts coming out the back end of the jet. So Edna has a rule, no capes. I think Jesus liked the anonymous friends because they didn't wear capes. They didn't carry their friend to Jesus so they could get likes on Facebook. They did it just because they loved their buddy and they believed in Jesus. They loved him enough to carry him and they believed in Jesus enough to get him through the roof and to get him at the feet of Jesus. And wouldn't you agree that our world would be a better place if there were more people like that, more friends like that? A 2018 Cigna survey found that 46% of Americans always or sometimes feel alone. And 47% of Americans, according to this survey, feel left out. 25%, one out of four, rarely or never feel that there are people who truly understand them. It seems our nation is facing an epidemic of loneliness which is exacerbated by the pandemic, wouldn't you agree? You see, we can't overestimate the importance of true friendship like these men had for their paralyzed buddy. Where loneliness is subjective, social isolation is an objective condition that can be studied, and it's defined as a lack of contact with family, friends, neighbors, community, church, and society. Studies have shown that social isolation is as harmful to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. A 2017 U.S. Department of Health and Human Services study declared that simply playing cards with a friend once a week or getting together over a cup of coffee adds as many years to life expectancy as giving up a pack-a-day smoking habit. You guys obviously don't understand the implication of this, so I'll, I'll lay it out for you. Eating a donut in the fellowship hall with a friend is healthy for you. <laughs> that is medical advice I am going to follow right there. So I'm gonna have a cup of coffee with my vitamin cruller later on, can't wait. As Soon as this guy gets done talking, we'll go. Do something healthy. But notice that Jesus called this man friend. And then in John 15, 15, Jesus said, I now call you friends. So let's be a friend who in love prays and serves their friends. Let's be friends to one another. Let's be like the, the, the anonymous, capeless friends in Luke chapter five, true 
faithful friends. Then this story takes a, a, a turn to the unforeseen. Look at the first part of verse 20. Uh, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It's, it seems to me sometimes in the Gospels that Jesus misses the obvious. Do you ever read the Gospels and go, what was he thinking? For instance, one time the blind guy came to him and Jesus said, what do you want from me? <laughs> Tickets to the Broncos. Why do you think I'm here? I'm blind. You know, he seems to miss the obvious. And then right here, here's a paralyzed guy. He can't move. And, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. A kind of a non sequitur, it seems like. But since Jesus has literally impacted billions of lives over 2,000 years, no one has had more impact on the human, human race than Jesus. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he isn't stupid, okay? You want to give Jesus that benefit of the doubt this morning? So now we come back to the religious leaders come back into this account, verse 21. Then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is to speak lies or evil about God. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders and scholars were correct that only God, who is absolutely perfect and all wise, not only the creator of the universe, but the judge of the universe, can forgive sins. And so to hear a 30-year-old man from a small village of Nazareth, which wasn't held in high regard, declaring that he could forgive sins was functionally declaring that he was God, which was blasphemy and punishable by death by Jewish law. The Jewish religious leaders and scholars, per their duty laid out in Scripture in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, were to protect God's people from false prophets, from nutcases who would declare themselves God's representative or in extreme cases would declare themselves God himself. But here comes the foundational issue of Christianity. Is Jesus God? That's the core issue in Christianity. So how does Jesus respond? Let's look on in the scripture, verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. So he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say the paralyzed guy get up and walk. On first glance, you would think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how do you verify that his sins were actually forgiven? Whereas if you say, rise up and walk, you know if that happens or not. It's, it's pretty obvious if that's true or not. So you would think it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Well, let's give that a little further thought. For Jesus to say your sins are forgiven meant he had to go and embrace the suffering and the death of being crucified. For Jesus, who according to the scriptures in John chapter 1, created the universe, healing a paralyzed man's neuromuscular system was simple. That's easy. If you've created all the stars, it's easy to heal a body. But to obtain the forgiveness of humanity's sins took real pain and suffering and anguish on the cross. Now notice that Jesus refers to himself in the scriptures, the son of man, which actually is his favorite phrase for describing himself. Eight times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, but 23 times just here in Luke, 
God calls himself son of man. Son of man is rooted in the messianic prophecies in Ezekiel and Daniel. Son of man is a messianic or, or a term used to the Messiah sent from God to save us. Son of man refers to how deeply the Messiah would identify with humanity. Jesus is one of us, a son of man. The word Pharisee means separated ones. Due to the, their uh, fear rooted in the Babylonian exile in their history, the Pharisees were committed to not being near sinful people for fear they'd be infected with sin and come under judgment, go into exile again. Out of this fear, the Pharisees uh, slid into legalism, judgmentalism, and hypocrisy per Jesus' observation. Instead of being a spiritual blessing as servant leaders, Pharisees turned their religious knowledge into power, control, and greed. They were selfish. They were jealous of Jesus instead of in awe of the goodness of Jesus' teachings and actions. So, contrast, if you would, the Pharisees who separated themselves from imperfect people with Jesus, who as the Son of Man came to radically identify with us. This shows us that it's grace, not religion, that can transform our lives. Religion is humans trying to work their way up to God, but grace is God in Christ Jesus working his way down to us. So the issue is, is Jesus truly the Son of Man and the Son of God? Look at verses 24 through 26. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus heals him, not only because he has compassion on him and his life, but also to show us as a demonstration that he truly is God's eternal son sent into the world to save us. Jesus is very God of very God in the eternal Godhead of the Trinity. Our deepest need as humans is to be forgiven, to be cleansed, and to be freed from our slavery to sin. We need to be heal, healed spiritually from a broken soul. Anxiety, depression, and suicide, they're on the rise today, and they're all manifestation of broken souls. But Jesus came to forgive and to cleanse and to heal our souls. It's possible for us to experience happiness and serenity on a beach in Hawaii. Isn't that the truth? But we can only find forgiveness for our sins and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus, God's eternal son, was born of a virgin, so he is both son of God and son of man, and he paid the price on the cross to wash away the guilt of our sin. God in his justice must punish sin, and the punishment of our sin was laid on Jesus on the cross. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. So let's apply this scripture in our lives with four questions to contemplate. Question number one, can other people see my faith from my actions? There's a group of men here in Rockland that volunteer on Tuesday nights to fix up cars that have been donated. 
so that they can, they're reliable and they're, they're given to single moms so they can have a good car, take care of that. that. That's faith in action. Is my faith clear from my actions? Question number two, similar to the, to the guys, the friends, am I willing to bring my friends to Jesus? Jim just talked about that's something that Rockland is about. It's interesting and, and heartbreaking that a recent Wall Street Journal article was about the epidemic of young men in our society who aren't going to college, they are not pursuing a career, they're depressed, many times addicted, they're not in a meaning, meaningful relationship with someone else, and they feel lost. And so the question is, with that kind of need around us that Jesus said the harvest is, is white around us, will we bring our depressed and our anxious and our addicted and our struggling friends to Jesus like the men who lowered their buddy through the roof so his body and his soul could be healed. Question number three, are we open to Jesus doing miraculous things among us? What would we do this morning if all of a sudden you heard this, that's my, my chainsaw imitation, <laughs> that's the best I could do, and, and all of a sudden part of the roof goes, and down comes a guy right here. Well, I, I'd call Jim up, what do you do with something like that? You know, it's, that's, that's Jim's problem right there. But Jesus, remember, he corrected people. He rebuked people who demanded God to do miracles all the time to prove himself to them. We're not supposed to have faith that's always asking God to prove himself through miracles. But in this scripture, God commends these men's faith. Would Jesus commend my faith? Does my faith free up God's power to be present among us? A vivid memory I have growing up in sixth grade I witnessed my friend James, he was also in sixth grade, be healed of a brain tumor in our church in Centralia, Washington, where my dad was pastor. It's tough to argue with a miracle, and that's a miracle that I saw as a child. The subject of healing can lead to all kinds of bad thinking, poor thinking and poor theology and unbiblical practices. So I just want to real quickly do just a little overview of, of Christian uh, theology of Christian healing, just bullet item these things real fast. God is able and willing to heal. God is glorified when we ask for healing and humble submission to his will. God, for reasons we don't fully understand, doesn't always heal when we ask. Healing is a miracle, which means it doesn't happen every day. When you tune her on the water on the faucet, it comes out, you don't go, oh, it's a miracle. That's a blessing. But it happens every day. It'll happen when you go home. A miracle is something out of the ordinary. Jesus healed out of compassion, but he also healed to demonstrate his identity as the eternal Son of God. God doesn't do miracle parlor tricks for our entertainment. This is important. The Bible is clear. Satan can do counterfeit miracles. Don't be gullible. Be wise. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's from God. Healing might be withheld because of lack of faith, but that a healing doesn't happen doesn't automatically mean that a person had a lack of faith. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless not my will but your will be done. Prayer and faith are more powerful than we can imagine. God wants us to be people of prayer and people of strong faith. All healing, whether medical or supernatural, comes from God. This last point is very important. Suffering is as much a part of Christian theology as is healing. It takes faith to see healing, and it takes faith to endure suffering. 
Either may be God's good will. My suffering may bring glory to God and blessing to other lives. The final question, fourth question, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins, to heal your soul, to make your heart his home? Have you been supernaturally, spiritually born again by the love of God found in Christ Jesus? Do you worship Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, my friend, as we partake in communion, open your heart to Jesus, a friend of sinners. Wouldn't you agree with me that Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 is about God's love? God's love in the heart of these, these men that, it, that they were willing to do whatever it takes to get their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. And then God's love in Jesus, both going to the cross so that man's sins could be forgiven, and then as a bonus, healing the man from paralysis. The scripture shows us and reminds us that God's love forgives and God's love heals and God's love is our deepest human need. Physical healing is a blessing, but spiritual healing is a better miracle. It is possible to have peace and joy from the Lord with a broken body, but it is impossible to have God's love, joy, and peace in a broken soul, even if we have a healthy, strong body. On Labor Day, our family got together at Colleen's uh, sister's home in Grant's Ranch, and, and uh, before we ate, we circled up about 15 of us, my son Dan, Dan and Tay, and their kids are here in this service. Dan led in prayer, thanking God for the food, the 15 of us, we joined hands, we bowed our heads in prayer, and two-year-old Juju ran around, you could hear, while we were praying, she was running around, and when Dan said amen, every eye was on Juju, and she looked at her dad, Pedro, my son-in-law, and she could tell that, uh-oh, I, I should have been quiet and silent and respectful. Evidently, Juju had been, during prayer, had been observing people's facial expressions as we prayed, because she instantly went like this. <laughs> it was spot on. Uh, and, and so we all did what you did. We, we laughed. And then I said, I just instantly said, who loves Juju? And we have a family tradition. Everybody's hands instantly went up. And we go, I do, I do, I do. It's, it's just a, a thing that we do. And Juju was so overcome with happiness that she dropped to the floor and began kicking her legs as if saying, my happiness is more than my body can take. I think that's the sort of spirit that was there at the end of this scripture that happened among the people when Jesus paralyzed the, I mean, he didn't paralyze the guy, he healed the, the guy who was paralyzed, and they were overcome by the goodness of God. Don't you want Jesus to be alive and well in your life, and in your family, and, and in your church, our church, and our community, and our nation, and our world, Amen. You know, because where Jesus is free to be Jesus, good things happen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And if the people who are going to serve communion would come forward right now, please. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. And as we partake this morning, partake rejoicing in God's love for you, shown in Christ Jesus. And ask Jesus to continue to do his good work within your soul 
and offer your body as a living sacrifice to go from here blessed to be a blessing to others. Draw near to Jesus as he draws near to you now. God bless you.